Welcome to Ordinary to Badass, episode number 353. In this episode, you're going to hear from Gucci Erasmus. Gucci is a women's empowerment coach. She helps you to uncover your limiting beliefs, recover the whole of who you are, and helps you be unapologetically yourself. It's so refreshing to hear Gucci talk because she just has a way of saying it how it is. And she calls people out, but it's like not in the rude way that you might expect. It's kind of an art. So listen to this episode. I know you're going to get so much good stuff from it. With that, let's get to the episode. Be confident, be bold, be authentic, but don't forget to take action. This is Ordinary to Badass, where our stories empower women to step into the spotlight of their own lives and pursue what they're truly passionate about. It's time to step into the arena and become more than just extraordinary. It's time to become a badass with your host, Marie Sonneman. Welcome to Ordinary to Badass. Whether you're ordinary or badass, I'm glad you're here. Today's guest is Gucci Erasmus. Gucci, thank you so much for being here. Excited to have you on the show. I am delighted to be here as well. It's a really nice way to end my week. So before we go any further, I've got to ask you, do you consider yourself ordinary or badass? That is such an important thing, I think, to reflect on because most of the time I just consider myself an ordinary person. I mean, I don't chase celebrity. I'm not really interested in people who are famous. That's just not my thing. But I do have a philosophy that women who have lived at all are actually all badass. So to me, it's not so much a continuum. I think the badass is always there and being ordinary and really living an ordinary life and getting through the in air quotes, ordinary stuff that women have to get through, I think makes us a badass. So I'm going to say I'm both. <laughs> nice. I like it. So at the times where you feel like a badass, what do you think brings that on? So when I think about, you know, when I feel like my badass is showing, um, I think there's a few things that really get me going. And those are things that I'm very passionate about. So for example, I'm really passionate about advocating for women to have a voice and particularly women from minorities. So that's very important to me. And when I see or hear that somebody might be making a disparaging remark about women or to a woman, um, I am pretty good, I think, about in a very calm but decisive way making a point that that type of behavior is not acceptable. So often after I've done something like that, I actually think, yeah, that's what I'm here for. That kind of gives me that feeling of I'm a badass. But there are other things as well. And for example, I have always loved driving, always loved cars. I grew up in a motorsport family. I have never driven an automatic vehicle ever in my life. So I've always driven stick. And sometimes out on the open road or on the racetrack and what have you, doing something that surprises mostly men in a car, it's like, hey, look at me, I can do that. <laughs> so, you know, there's things like that. And I also think in terms of 
let's call it sort of in the career sphere, uh, although I'm a solo entrepreneur now, I had a long corporate career. And there were times, especially when I was working in the, the corporate world, that I felt that sort of badass, let's say, being a bit emphasized. Also, usually when people were, anybody was being either shut down or ignored or there just wasn't in the opportunity for involvement for people. So I think a lot of my badassery comes from the desire to make sure that people are treated with respect and people have a space to be themselves. So that's probably most of it. And I'm sure there's a ton of other examples that will come up, but I would say those are the main ones. It's very much connected, I think, with my value system. Yeah, I love that. And I love how part of it, it seemed like you were talking about like defying expectations makes you feel like a badass because it's like, we don't have to be or fit in this box that society sometimes thinks we have to. And actually, I'm going through this 12 days of badassery right now before the holidays. And one of those is the exact same thing. It's like defying expectations, setting your own limitations instead of listening to everybody else. So I think that's very badass. <laughs> exactly. And I think sometimes it can be really badass to say no to something. So, you know, boundaries are important. Boundaries are not in my, for me anyway, in my life, boundaries are not about hiding away from something or staying away from things that might be difficult. Boundaries for me are really about protecting myself and my sanity and my health and all that. And I do consider that to be badass because if I don't have good energy, I'm not going to be able to do good things that are really important to me. Yes. So good. So I could keep asking you questions but first, will you share a little bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. So, I mean, probably your listeners can tell that I was not born in North America. And I have this weird thing about my accent because I don't hear it anymore. So it's only when people come up to me and they go, where are you from? And I say, well, I live in Hamilton. That's kind of close to Niagara Falls. And they go, no, where are you really from? <laughs> So I was born in South Africa. I was born in Johannesburg. I lived in Johannesburg, finished my schooling there. Subsequent to that, I actually had the opportunity to go and live in Munich in Germany for a few years, which was really awesome. It's a wonderful city. And actually, I consider that the place where I grew up. I think, you know, I emerged into adulthood in Munich. And because I arrived there not speaking a word of German, uh, it was interesting because I connected with women from around the world who were mostly wives of guys who had jobs with big companies like Siemens. So we were a group of sort of expat women from around the world. We took German classes together and we basically figured out how to be grown-ups. So one of those women was an opera singer. There was another woman who was from Cambodia. I had never really met anyone from Asia. She was absolutely amazing. Um, she had been a, a nurse in a field hospital. Then there was another woman who was a champion archer from Italy. So it was just great. We were this group of international women sort of between the ages of, you know, early 20s and 30s, say. Um, and we did things together because community. During that period, I also experienced a couple of really interesting things. So because for those of you listening, I'm in my 60s now. 
the bottom mine of terrorist gang was very active in Germany when I was living there. And the day they bombed the Oktoberfest, I was actually there. And I realized about two hours after that bombing that I had actually been standing right next to one of the terrorists. So I'd been standing next to a garbage pail in which there was a bomb waiting for my husband so that we could leave to go on the underground and go home because we were going on a trip the next day. And we heard the explosion when we were in the train tunnel. And so, you know, that was very weird. But afterwards, when all the dust settled and my parents had stopped calling to see if I was okay and what have you, I suddenly realized that in life you will be next to many sort of right on the hair's breadth edge or the knife edge of many really difficult situations. And you can survive difficult situations. And even if you're not directly impacted, you can choose how to react to that. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go about my life and live every day because I have no idea when the day is going to come that the outcome could be different. And so that for me was a huge lesson in my life. And I really decided that, you know, if I would get an opportunity to travel or learn something or meet interesting people, I would just grab it. So it's sort of shaped my philosophy at go wherever you can go, make sure there's always a seat at your table for everyone and be curious. So that's a bit about me. And I have two children, two step, well, I have four children, two, two steps, five grandchildren. I love that. So good. So tell us a little bit about traveling. You've told us about two places you've traveled to. Sometimes it can be pretty daunting moving to different places, let alone different countries. So how did that impact you? Relocation is actually really, really hard. And I discovered that it is harder when you have children. So the first time when I moved from South Africa to Germany, no kids involved, you know, it was difficult, but I only had to worry about myself. Back in South Africa, we then decided we were going to move to Canada. So we moved from Johannesburg, lovely, warm climate, lots of open air, etc., to Vancouver, West Coast, raining a lot of the time. Uh, luckily, not too, too cold, but, uh, you know, a lot of rain. And every single thing was different. And although I had relocated before, by this time I had two children, um, a, a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old. And so just trying to figure out things like what are the right how, how do you even read food packages? I mean, they're all in the same language, so you'd think it would be difficult. There's a lot of differences. Things that you would like to have are not available and so on. The school system was radically different. I remember the first time, the very first day my son came home from school and his eyes were enormous. And it was like, there's a problem at my school, mom. Well, that's great. I mean, we've been in the country like three weeks and there's a problem at your school. He said, yes, there were kids dropping the F-bomb in class. Now, I don't know how it is in the rest of North America. Vancouver, especially in those days, I'm talking about 20 years ago, was very liberal. And we <laughs> happened to live in the neighborhood of one of the biggest universities. So it was like hyper-liberal. liberal. And in the schools, kids ruled the roost. Not bad, bad way, but they were allowed as much free expression as they liked. That was very challenging for me as a mom who was trying to raise 
respectable, polite <laughs> young adults. Um, so, yeah, that was hard. And then I think the hardest thing for me personally, other than, you know, sort of watching out for my kids and making sure that they really felt safe without hovering over them, work was really hard. This was the biggest shock to me of all, Marie, is I spoke the same language, had a really good career track record. I arrived in Canada and no one gave a rats about my experience. Literally nothing. They're like, oh, you don't have Canadian experience? Start at the bottom, if you can even get an interview. Um, and so that was very hard and gave me a much greater appreciation for what it is like to relocate when you're relocating to a country where it isn't your first language. Um, the immigrant experience, I think, is really tough wherever you go in the world. But in Germany, I didn't have that because Siemens had taken care of all the wives really well. So I wasn't that exposed to it. My experience in coming to Canada was way different on the work front. But I think that that has had an enormous effect also on my badassery because actually I'm an introvert and I could have just, you know, crawled back into my shell proverbially um, and just kind of said, well, this is really awful and felt, you know, licked my wounds and felt like a victim. But instead, I was like, I need to work. My brain needs to work. So I've got to get out there and figure this out. So I did a ton of networking. Um, I took some really weird jobs just because they were offered to me. In fact, one of them, I went to work for a furrier. I've never worn a fur coat in my life when I came to Canada. Um, but I went to work for a furrier who had a store in a very fancy hotel. So I was exposed to, you know, travelers, tourists with pots of money looking at these fur coats and what have you. But it was really good for me to do that because I started to understand how things work in Canada, what was the viewpoint on people who came to visit Canada. So I learned, you know, I spoke to the customers, how many times you've been here, what attracted you to Canada. So it was really, really interesting. That was one of the strange things I did um, or stranger things I did. And then I also took a job with a what I call a mall jeweler. So that's, it is a little bit judgmental, but you know, one of those mass produced, really tacky jewelry kind of people. Um, they had a little outlet in all of the big malls across Canada at the time, no longer in business today. But I love doing that as well because it gave me the opportunity to, actually I became a manager really, really quickly. And it gave me the opportunity to speak again to so many Canadians because I was just exposed to this mass group of Canadians. And so I asked them, you know, where does someone like me get a job? Where does someone like me fit in? What are the, where are the places I should be looking at to socialize? What kind of clubs? And actually, you know, a few people said to me, you did what when you went to Canada? But it was my way of actually finding my way. And so when I look back on all of that, I think all of that was quite badass. I mean, some people might say, gosh, that was less than ordinary, but I think it was quite badass. So how did you get to where you are today since it was so hard when you got to Canada and to work your way up or just to get a job at all? How did you get to where you are today? My first break was I met somebody through a volunteer opportunity. So I, I heard about a group of people at Simon Fraser University who were 
running a leadership program in the community. And it was to partner young Aboriginal leaders with other young Canadians to sort of just figure out what role they could play in community leadership. And this group of people were sort of steering it. So I said, I'll volunteer, I'll do anything. You know, I could do registrations, I could do intake interviews and so on. And through that, I met a couple of really interesting people at the university. And I just said to them, I need to find a job. This is what I did before. Have you got any clues? So, you know, by this stage, I was starting to meet the people who actually knew people who maybe would be able to employ me. And I got my first job in a consult, a small consulting company, which was all male apart from one other woman. And of course, guess where the clash happened <laughs> with the one other woman? Because um, I think she had ruled the roost for a while. She was one of the founding partners of this company. And here I came along, you know, 20 years younger than her and actually in a lot of ways, much more global. And again, because of the sort of need to be a badass to get out there and figure out what life was going to offer me, I was just testing, you know, here, there, pushing the boundaries and so on. And she was not very happy about that. But I stayed there for a little while. And one of the one of the clients we worked with, with one of the big utility companies, and the consulting firm had made a mistake when they hired me. They did not get me to sign a non-compete. I didn't realize that at the time, but the client wanted to hire me full time. So we looked into it and we spoke to a lawyer and they couldn't stop me. So I moved over to the client. And I would say from there, it was pretty much plain sailing because now I had real Canadian experience under my belt. And so I worked in the field of organizational change in all the big industry sectors. I switched from time to time to prevent boredom. And I ended up the last corporate role I had was actually in a global pharmaceutical company. So I consider the first two years I had in Canada to be career-wise on paper, sort of a bit like a limbo period, but not really, because I realized that was when I was starting to till my own ground and get it ready. And then the subsequent years, I had a really wonderful corporate career. I cannot complain about it at all. Met loads of wonderful people, many of whom have become friends. Um, and then in 2019, I finally decided I'd sort of found myself towards what I thought was going to be the end of my corporate uh, working experience. And I found myself again working for a woman. And she was not a very nice person. Let me just put it that way. I think she was carrying a lot of anger about many things and so on. And after a while, it just made sense to part company. So I thought I'll, I'll semi-retire and write a book about organizational change. So I did semi-retire and I did write my manuscript and it is sitting on a hard drive because I have no intention of ever publishing it. So let's talk about badass moves right there. You know, sometimes I think in life, women will do something thinking it's the absolute right thing they need to do. And if you start getting qualms anywhere along the way, when you think about if that thing, whatever it is, really is given birth to in the world. So in my case, it would have been a book. It was going to tie me to that kind of work for the next five to 10 years. And when I contemplated that after putting seven months of 
really hard grind into writing it, I was like, that is not what I want to do. So thank you very much. I'm just closing that chapter and putting it aside. And I cannot tell you the number of people who've said to me, whatever happened with that manuscript you're doing? And I'm like, yep, I finished it, but I'm not publishing it. And they're like, why not? Maybe it'll be a bestseller. And I, maybe it will be. Maybe someday I'll give it to someone else to publish. But quite frankly, I didn't want to get locked into that. I was ready to do something else. And I think I had to get that out of my system in order to sort of clear my mind and my brain for the next chapter. And so here I am in what I call the next chapter. So the next chapter. Um, Sorry, I was on mute. And what's the that's next chapter? Okay. I, I, can, I can lip read. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, the next chapter, uh, again, sort of stems out of life experience. So I grew up in a family of women who struggled with depression, anxiety, and imposter syndrome. What's new? That's probably... 50% of every woman who work, walks the earth, if we really could get down to it. And along with that, my mom really struggled a lot with anxiety and the feeling of, sort of being less than because she she was one of five children in a very, a, a group of very highly accomplished siblings. So my mother always said, oh, I, I'm the one who wasn't good at anything. Um, and then she had, you know, she had a relationship split up with my dad. Um, and so she attempted suicide when I was 12. And she survived, but it was not an easy period after she survived at all. She certainly did not like the fact that I knew I was actually the reason she was survived, she survived. And the fact that she knew that I knew what was going on for her did not make it very comfortable. So my teen years with her were challenging because I think I was a constant reminder of where she thought she was going in her life. And then she's there. I'm the youngest stuck at home with a difficult teenager, although I don't think I was difficult, but with a teenager who could be difficult. Um, and then same thing, my daughter, when she hit her teens, she developed an eating disorder very severe she was really really ill and she attempted suicide three times between the age of 15 and 25 and her third attempt was very close it was very very close it's thanks to an, a woman who worked with her who realized that she hadn't seen my daughter for three days at work and nobody had said anything that something might be wrong so I'm always grateful for people who pay attention to those kinds of things. And we always should check in on those people who may not be doing well. Why I am now in the next chapter is all about that sort of lived history with women in my family and other women I've known. Because honestly, the most interesting part of my entire working career has been everything that was not on my job description. And that everything has been helping women recognize where their strengths are, talking with women about where they might feel stuck, and most specifically having conversations with women in that space that is intergenerational. And many of those women that I've spent a lot of time with have been to therapy, done all those things, which I absolutely think is wonderful. And there's a space also for another kind of conversation. Because in a clinical setting, only certain things can happen. 
but between women in a non-clinical setting in a, but still a safe environment, you can have a very pithy conversation about stuff. And when I finally realized that I was over my corporate career, I thought, right, this is the time I have to do what I really want to do. So I pulled out all of my academic training, my life experience, and my passion for making sure that women don't get stuck in the middle of their lives. No matter what age they are, this is not a chronological thing. And I decided that I'm going to create a space to work with women. So that's where I am now in my gem power. Yes, I loved how you said, and I'm, I'm going to get this quote a little bit off, but everything major that has happened to you is not in your job description. I think that's so powerful. Can you expand on that a little bit? We are not our job descriptions. You know, when, when you get hired for a job, actually, even if you're a mom, I mean, being a mom is kind of a job description, right? Or even if you're caring for an older person, it's kind of a job description. You know, you get up in the morning, you know the things that you have to do during the day, what you're responsible for and so on. And then there's all this white space in between. And so it's what do you do with that in between? And for me, it was those connections that I had, mostly with women. I mean, I realized that I worked in a very male-dominated area of business, you know, between strategy and transformation, mostly majority were men. But I I was in workplaces with lots of great women. And in the beginning, I started talking to women about things around their career, especially because I'd had this sort of blip when I relocated and I felt like I'd lost a little bit of time for a while. But once you start talking to women, you you I was hearing things like, well, you know, I could never do that because I don't have the qualifications. Oh, you know, I don't think I could do that because what happens if my kid is sick? And so women were throwing up barriers to their own aspirations all over the place. I even once remembered a woman telling me I could never go for that job because I'm too heavy. And I just remember thinking, gosh, isn't that sad how we judge ourselves instead of really just taking a chance, being curious and take the lesson in everything. You know, if it doesn't go well, what could you do differently next time? Maybe it wasn't meant to be this idea that also if you don't, if you don't get the job, for example, if you don't get the job offer, is that the end of the world? Does that mean you're, you are not something or you are lacking in something? No, might be, there might be a reason you didn't get it. And so just stay open and, and really figure that out. So the things that were not in my job description really were all of my, I would say, interpersonal opportunities for interpersonal, deep interpersonal relationship building. And I think the, the evidence for me that I had done a lot of that and really built a lot of trusted relationships is when I when I launched my gem power in the middle of the pandemic. I had an idea for sort of a masterclass type program, but I wanted to test it out. So I sent out 28 invitations to women I knew, not women who were in my close circle of friends, but women who I would say were my acquaintances from these working years, just to say, if you had the time, would you be interested? I wanted a pilot cohort. I want feedback and so on. 
And every single woman said yes. And I honestly was expecting, I felt like if I had three women say yes, it was going to be wonderful. And every single woman said yes. And I asked them afterwards, I said, why did you say yes? And they're like, you were always the person to make a space for really meaningful conversation and you didn't have an answer for everything. So I would use more questioning and we would sort of think together about possibilities because I know I don't have the answer for everything. Uh, and I don't believe anyone, I think if we did have the answer for everything, life would be pretty boring. Yes. Yeah. I recently heard like be a Ted, not a ting, like be interested in what somebody has to say, as opposed to being interesting. And as an introvert as well, I found that a relief that I don't have to try to be interesting and like, oh, look at me, look at me. You know, you could just be interested in what other people have to say. And that goes along exactly. with you. Exactly. And what I've learned in life as well is when you are interested in other people, it's almost always reciprocal. People love talking about themselves. They love it if you ask good questions. And a good question can just be an opening up kind of question. It doesn't have to be a smart, sassy question. Somebody can say something like, do you know, when I sat in my brother's racing car, you can say, oh, tell me about that. Were you really young when that happened? So you can just ask a really simple question, but it just opens up these stories. So I, I love that, Marie. I definitely think, think that being a Ted and not a Ting is very important. That's really clever. Yes. And we are on the same page there. That's my favorite thing. Tell me more about that. And it's amazing the stuff that the answers that you get. So you talked a little bit about your clients and you help them so they don't get stuck. How do you help them? How do you work with them? And what is like the most common problem your clients have or the reason they get stuck? Well, I had a, I had a um, epiphany today. I think I, I was, I actually did an Instagram live today with a woman that I had met at a conference and preparing for that. I, cause she had asked me the same question yesterday. She said, what does it look like? And I said, you know, a lot of people think, oh, I'm stuck. It's like a midlife crisis. The sky is falling and so on. And it can be like that. But I've realized when I look back, you know, over two years, the women I've worked with, that stuckness comes in different sizes. So you have micro stuckness, then you have mini stuckness, then you have midi stuckness, and then you have macro stuckness. And all of them are probably somewhat related, but let's not make assumptions about that because I also think making assumptions is really dumb. But a, a, a micro stuck might be a woman who says, I just feel like I'm invisible. I don't fit in. I don't belong with these you know, groups of women and what have you. I never have anything to wear. I'm outdated and so on. And on the surface, that might sound like a little bit of a frivolous or vain or kind of a silly thing to say, but there's always something behind it. And I've always said, for example, if a woman says I have nothing to wear, and clearly that's not true for any of us because you open a closet door, there is stuff there. What is going on there? You know, it might be a mini or a midi stuckness because perhaps she's had a lot of financial struggles for a reason. And so she really hasn't shopped for a while. Um, and, you know, you don't have to go to a new store to get really cool things. P.S., because I am a thrift and vintage shopper. 
But quite often that stuckness is because that woman doesn't really know herself. And when you don't know yourself, the way I describe it is you end up with a closet full of unkind clothes. You put them on, you put something on, and you know it doesn't feel like you, and it probably doesn't feel like your body because you've been swayed by your friends or the media or your teenage daughter. I mean, this happens to all of us. Sometimes we just forget who we are. And so we acquire things that sit in our wardrobes that are actually unkind to us. So the first thing is you've got to get back in touch with who you are. And if that means, you know, actually I'm a person who doesn't like tight things around my neck, get out a pair of scissors and cut the neckline out of something and go out wearing it. Because you know what? People are going to say, that's radical. I've got a great example. I mean, I did that on something myself. I bought a t-shirt, which I loved and it wasn't very expensive. I bought it at a biker rally. What a place. Um, but the neckline was so tight and I put it on twice and I just, I felt really awful in it. So it, it proved my own theory because it was physically uncomfortable, but I actually liked the idea of wearing this biker t-shirt. So I laid it down on the dining room table, took out a big pair of scissors. I cut the neckline out of it. I cropped it off at the bottom and Bet your bottom dollar, every time I wear that T-shirt, someone will comment on it. They either ask me where I got it. Did I get it from my husband or my son? Did someone, you know, did a designer make it? That neckline is amazing. Yeah, it's just raw T-shirt material. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that that to me is what I would call a micro stuck. There's a little bit there where you've lost touch with who you are. And so you've got to get back in touch with yourself to get over some of those just very ordinary day-to-day -day things. A midi stuck might be, you know, I really know I'm heading back into the workforce now. I've been out for a few years having kids or whatever. And I just don't even know what my passion is. I don't know where my skills fit anymore and so on. So you can do career counseling, which is great, but there's a different level of getting back in touch with yourself. And then I would say if it's sort of going all the way up just to finish the story to sort of a macro stack, that's usually when I like to start with your family of origin and look at, you know, where was your mother stuck? Where was your grandmother stuck? What is that narrative that the women in your family or the women who've played those mothering roles to you? Because some women that I work with don't know their birth mothers, but they've had stepmoms, foster moms, whatever. So let's just talk about those women because clearly whatever we are battling did not start with us. It starts somewhere else. Um, sometimes as I say, if it's macro, it starts back in the family of origin. If it's sort of in that midi range, a lot of it is contextual and might come from the people that we've spent a lot of time with. And as we grow up, we don't really need to be the same as everyone else the greatest gift we can give to ourselves is to raise ourselves and become an acquired taste. Yes. And to cut your shirt when what you have is not working for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Gucci, we are in a social media world. It looks like everything is gumdrops and lollipops for everyone. And we often don't see behind the scenes. We don't see the hardships that people have went through. So could you share with us a hardship that you faced to get to where you are today? There's probably been one. 
almost every week of my life, because I think that's what being ordinary means. There's always something that comes out of left field. I think the earliest difficult hardship for me was when my parents separated when I was 10. I mean, that was, and they they were of an, an age era, and I was raised in a Catholic family where you did not talk about that. So all of a sudden, your dad has just disappeared. It's like, well, well, that's weird, because I'm still alive. I see him from time to time, and every time I see him, no one actually seems to behave be behaving naturally. So I think that was a really big hardship. Um, when I first, you know, there were probably, a, oh, I'm sure there were a few in my teens. But when I first came to Canada, I think the big hardship I faced there was trying to figure out all this career stuff was actually financial because at the time when we left South Africa, it was very difficult to bring money out of South Africa. It was just one of the, the things that the government was doing. And by the time you could bring money out of South Africa, it was worth nothing. So at age 36, 37, suddenly to discover you basically are sort of starting financially close to the beginning was difficult. And then when I was 40, I, I got divorced because when we came to Canada, my husband at the time started gambling and he ran up massive gambling debts. And, you know, life is so interesting in that sometimes the very, very intuitive things people tell you really turn out to be the best. So through this volunteering I was doing, um, with this leadership group in Vancouver, I had met a young family lawyer and I said, I think I need a lawyer and I know for sure I can't pay for one that's in the kind of firm you're in. And he said, I'll take your case on for free. Okay. So he did. And the best piece of advice he gave me is he said, you need to get your husband, you don't need a, a custody agreement because the age of your children, they should be fine and you should be able to just work out amicably how this is going to work. But he said, you need to tell your husband that you will pay all his gambling debts and he will then have make no further claim on you. And I remember sitting in front of this guy, Joe, and I said, Joe, that's a quarter of a million dollars. And he took out a piece of paper and he said, let me show you how much it will cost you. When Because he said, I know you're going to have a good career and I know you're going to be earning good money. And if that happens this is potentially what you will have to pay him in alimony if he chooses not to work. So he said, pay the gambling debts. And I put my faith in that choice and I did that. So at age 40, I literally had less than zero in assets. And that was one of those things that felt insurmountable at the time. And when I look back at it now, you know, I just worked through it a day at a time, a step at a time. And I really just put faith in myself. I did not let it, I did let it get me down sometimes, but I didn't let it stop me. I was like, it's hard. Yes. And, you know, that's, that's the kind of stuff that you don't see on social media, that it can be really hard. And I think I just put on a courageous face. Probably a lot of people didn't even realize that I was going through that but it was one day at a time and I just kept going forward. So that's another kind of badass move a woman can make. Yes. Yes. 
And I love the faith in yourself part. It's and then taking it day by day because it's so easy. And I think we've all fallen into this trap to be like, to look at the big picture and be like, how am I ever going to get there and kind of dwell in that space as opposed to let's just focus on today and what I can do today. So Gucci, let's end with a tip to encourage women who are in the arena fighting for the life that they want. I think the number one tip I would offer is sit down somewhere quiet at least once a week No one should be able to disturb you. So you might have to go out in your car and get a takeout coffee. Close your eyes and think about that time. For most women, I would say it's probably around about the age of 14 to 17, when you are starting to imagine the woman you are going to be when you reach full adulthood. Not the life you are going to have, but the woman you're going to be. Because your core wisdom is inside there. And if you reflect on those early years and you think, no, I can't quite get it, just keep doing that exercise until you can figure out what is my core wisdom? What do I really stand for, for me? Not what friends you want to hang out, not what car you want to drive, not what hair extensions you want to have when you make your first 20,000, I don't know. Just think about what is that core wisdom? Who is the me inside of all of this? And then once you've got a little sense of what that is, and it takes a lot of work, but you will find it eventually. The next step I would say is, and then think about the parts of yourself you have put down for any reason whatsoever. You put down part of yourself for a job. You put down part of yourself kind of naturally when you have kids. Think about those parts you've put down and think about how you can pick them up again, because those are the things that allow you to be the whole of you. And the whole of you is where the badass really lies. So good. And how can we connect with you? I'm on Instagram, (laughs) social media. Here we are, my gem power. I also am on Facebook, less active on Facebook. I do have a website, My Gem Power. You'll find all of those. And then very recently, I started a blog on Substack. So you can find me, Gucci Erasmus, on Substack. And my first, I've only got one blog post up. The second one is about to go up. But my first blog post, I think everyone should read. It's called The Mother Road. The name actually came from Route 66 in the States, which I did travel, but it's all about everything we have. We come by completely naturally. Don't put yourself down for anything that you're dealing with, whether you're an introvert, whether you're shy, whether you're anxious. This is stuff that is all inherited, gifted to us from generations before and programmed by our society. And I'd love you to read it. Thank you so much, Gucci. You've been a total badass and I've enjoyed hearing your story. Thanks for having me on. And with that, we'll end our show. To all the badass women staying in the arena, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, own it and get after it. Now that you've listened to this episode of Ordinary to Badass, we want to hear from you. Go to our website, ordinarytobadass.com slash podcast and submit your own experience on how you took your life from ordinary to badass and get the chance to be on a future spotlight episode of the show. 
That's OrdinaryToBadass.com forward slash podcast. While you're waiting for the next episode of the show, wipe off the sweat, dust off the dirt, and get back in the arena.